that we started a few weeks ago. Um, in part one, we said that most homes have rules, and we, I think everybody said that you grew up in a home with some rules of some kind. Where you work, you have rules. Everywhere you go, where you interact with people, um, there are rules of some kind. Some <coughs> are written, most are not. We've said that in the church, the simple principle that is to govern our interactions with one another is that we're to treat each other in the church the way that God has treated each of us in Christ. And we looked at some verses in part one in Romans 15, and we found that we are to, first of all, accept one another. That was the first mandate. And we said that the two most powerful forces on the human soul are acceptance and rejection. One we move toward, the other we move away from, but either way, acceptance and rejection shape us. Every word, every action, every nonverbal sends a message of acceptance or rejection, and our hearts are drawn towards environments of acceptance. And the church, we said, is to be a setting where people ought to be able to come to the church and interact with people in the church, and they might say, I don't believe everything you guys believe. I don't know the songs like you do. I can't find my way around the Bible, but I know this, that when I come into this place, when I have interaction with these people, I just feel accepted. And that's a challenging thing because we are better rejectors than we are acceptors, right? But this is important because an environment of acceptance is the optimal environment for life change, for growth, for transformation. And that's what we're about. And the thing about acceptance, we said, is that acceptance, when it really comes down to it, is really about what you say and what you do. It's so much more than what you think and what you feel. It's about what you say and what you do. Then in part two, we talked about the New Testament uh, instruction to encourage one another. And we said that the word encourage in the New Testament carries a lot more meaning than we tend to attach to the word encourage. We tend to think of encourage as a pat on the back kind of thing, uh, a kind, encouraging word, whatever, or a motivating word. But the word that's translated encourage in the New Testament actually means a whole lot more than that. It means to urge, to exhort, to plead with. And we talked about this spiritual disease that we're all prone to, this disease, we called it drifting. And we're all susceptible to this. And it begins with a change in behavior and eventually leads to a different way of thinking. And we tend to think that it's the other way around, but it's not. It's usually our behavior that leads to a change in our thinking. So we looked at a few verses from Hebrews chapter 3, and we discovered that the antidote to drifting, the thing that keeps us from drifting as a follower of Jesus, is to be connected to a network of encouragers, as the Bible defines encourage. Connected to a community of like-minded followers of Jesus, and that while our spiritual life is personal, it is not private. That we need to bring some people into the inner circle in our lives into that seat of influence to encourage us, to urge us, to keep us from drifting so that we can then turn around and do the same for others. <clears throat> then last time, in part three, we talked about, we started really with Galatians chapter six, verse two, where the Apostle Paul says to those of us in the church, he says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. And we talked about how sometimes some of us are resistant to that because we don't want the hassle of carrying someone else's burdens. We have enough burdens of our own, right? And speaking of our burdens, sometimes our pride gets in the way and we won't let others in and we're just determined to carry our own burdens on our own. 
So we looked extensively at this passage in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul talks about the body of Christ, the church, and he compares it to the physical body. And it's a pretty remarkable passage. And if, if you missed part three a couple weeks ago, I would really encourage you to take a few minutes to go back and read 1 Corinthians 12. And the takeaway from the message that, that morning, <coughs> a couple weeks ago, <coughs> excuse me, was to introduce our new uh, care ministry. <coughs> and we got really specific about how we provide care in our church and how we hope to do this more effectively moving forward. And we gave you an opportunity to get involved because we said that there's a benefit for you when the body functions as the body's intended to function and there's a responsibility for you for every one of us in the body. So we asked you to fill out this reply card. It looked like this. Some of you still carrying it around. And we asked you to fill this out and let us know where you would have an interest in serving others in the church. And it's not too late to get this card into us. Uh, it's, uh, we had a great response to this, and we're going to process this over the next couple of weeks. We want to give you one more opportunity right away to, to reply. Um, there are plenty of cards left on the table uh, to the right of the door there as you leave. If you were here a couple of weeks ago and you heard this message and you've been sitting on this just kind of waiting on some clarity um, and you haven't replied with a card yet, stop by the table and pick one up. You can leave it in the offering box. You can leave it in one of those little white baskets out there. You can give it to me. Uh, if you have no idea what I'm talking about, then I really encourage you, uh, if you consider yourself a part of Faith Community Fellowship, this is your church family, then I really encourage you, uh, there's a benefit for you. And you have a responsibility to get involved in this process of caring for one another. So go online or go to the podcast, however you listen. Uh, we've stopped making CDs automatically every week because we're just kind of moving on from that. But you can still order them if that's how you listen to things. You can fill out a form and, and order the message from March 4th, and it'll be here for you next week. Or you can hop online or subscribe to the podcast and listen to the message from March 4th called Caring for One Another. And um, let's all get in the game on this. Let's do everything we can to care for one another more effectively. And uh, I'd love to have more conversation with you about that. So today, I'm going to wrap this up, um, this, this little mini-series on the one another passages. And we've said so far that basically we are to treat each other in the church the way God has created, or the way God has treated each of us in Christ. We're to treat each other as a fellowship, as a congregation, the way that reflects the way God has treated us. In other words... What's God call, what God is calling us to do, and this is, this is tough, is to never lose our sense of awe of what he did on the day that he saved us. If you're an impatient person and you lose your patience with people, you probably need a good dose of understanding how patient God has had to be with you. Right? If there are people that you really have a difficult time accepting, and it really impacts the way that you do relationships. It could be because you've lost sight of what God had to do to accept you. When we lose sight, when we lose our sense of awe at the invitation that we've received, then it works its way into our relationships. And in the church, if we lose our sense of awe, the Apostle Paul says we'll lose our unity and the way to guard unity is to maintain our sense of awe at the invitation and the calling that we've received. And this is important because God, we want to be a church that operates the way you've called us to operate. That's our prayer. 
We want to be a church that rallies around not simply a mission, not a strategy, not a building, not the fact that we all kind of look alike and have the same story. We want to rally around the fact, God, that you have invited us into a unique relationship, and we want to celebrate that every time that we come together. So this morning, we're going to explore, explore one more one another, and it's this, that we are called to forgive one another. <coughs> In Ephesians chapter 4, again, uh, from the writings of the Apostle Paul, Paul makes what seems like a very, very unreasonable request of us. He does this a lot. And what makes it even more unreasonable is that he didn't even know any of us. He didn't know any of our stories or any of our heartbreaks. He didn't know about your marriage. He didn't know about your kids. He didn't know about your parents. He didn't know about your boss. He doesn't know about your financial situation. He didn't know anything about you. And yet, kind of down through history, he makes this request, and this is what he says. Here's our text for today, okay? Two verses. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. He says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, He uses a real strong term to get this thing started, and he says, get rid of it. And the thing that makes us so insensitive is the fact that he doesn't know anything about me, and he doesn't know anything about you. And yet there he is in his soft, cushy life 2,000 years ago, where he doesn't have to deal with our questions. And we can't line up after the service to shake his hand and say, yeah, but what about, you know, let me tell you about, but you don't know about, and if you only knew this, and and, and he says, get rid of it. And the word that he uses that's translated get rid of, it's, it's kind of what you and I do. The best example I could think of is when you and I run into a cobweb. You probably haven't done that recently, but it won't be long. What's your first thought when you walk into a cobweb? Really? That's your first? My first thought is where is this disgusting spider? That's the first thing I want to know. But then after that, it's... Ew! Yeah, Okay. It's gross. I don't, but what, what you're really thinking, even when you're thinking it's gross, you're really thinking, where's that nasty spider? Aren't you thinking that? Am I the only one? Okay. Um, for me, and I'm a, uh, sometimes an overly analytical person, but I, when I walk into a cobweb, I don't pause and analyze. Wonder where this came from. I wonder how many spiders are living in this. If I were to destroy this, how many spiders am I going to leave homeless? Um, Am I stealing his next meal because he's trapped some nice juicy insects in here? Um, I think maybe I'll just wait till I get home to wipe this off my face. (laughs) I might have inhaled some. I'll just leave it there for a while. No, you immediately go into action and you're pulling and you just look like a fool and you just want to get the stuff off of me. All the while the spider's sitting right there just having a good laugh at you. But that's the picture, okay? I want you to move into action and immediately begin to remove from yourself all anger, all brawling. I don't know what that looks like in your life. All wrath, all rage, all slander. Like, oh, we had to put slander in there. Darn it. And just in case there's somebody who says, yeah, but you didn't touch on my particular issue. It's a good list and it's pretty crazy. But, and then he says, in every form of malice. So essentially what he does is he makes a list of every relational wedge Anything that would get between you and another person in terms of what you're feeling on the inside. You're like, well, I don't, I don't really, I'm not an, an emotional kind of, yeah, we're really talking about what you feel on the outside. It may not even come out. 
If it's anger, if it's wrath, if it's a memory, if it's something that caused you to slander or gossip or some evil intent, you know, or you're going to teach somebody, you're going to teach them a lesson. You're going to pay somebody back. Boy, as soon as you're just waiting it out, as soon as you get an opportunity. He says, anything on the inside of you that would cause you and drive you to say things and do things that would be a wedge between you and somebody else, he says, whatever's on the inside, I want you to go into action and I want you to remove it and get rid of it. And that last little phrase, every form of malice, it's a very general term where he says, I'm talking about anything that's a wedge, anything where there's someone in your life where you see them at the grocery store and you go the other way because of that thing that happened. You need to deal with that. You need to get rid of that. You know, if there's somebody and there's always this tension, he says, I want you to deal with that. You need to deal with your part of it on the inside, so that you can look them right in the eye and shake their hand. Whatever it is that's causing you to want to pay them back and get retribution, whatever it is, he says, I want you to deal with that, and the way to deal with it is get rid of it. It's the boss, you know, who treated you wrongly, and you don't work for him anymore, but you hope you never see him again. Paul says, I want you to deal with that, on, with what's going on on the inside, so that when you do see him again, you don't have to work everything out as to who's to blame, Let's, oh, fancy meeting into you. Let's have a coffee and figure out what happened to that ugly deal back there where you treated me so bad. But where you can look them straight in the eye so you don't have to run. There's nothing on the inside of you emotionally in terms of your thinking that would be a wedge between you and anybody else. Paul says, I want you to get rid of all that. Get rid of your anger. Get rid of your malice. Get rid of all that. And I'll tell you right up front, this is a little insensitive. I would never in a million years get up and say such a thing to you if I didn't have something like this to back me up. Because I've heard too many stories, and you could raise your hand and like, well, let me tell my story. And we'd listen to your story, and we'd be like, whoa, yeah, you are an exception. You get to sit in the front. No, no problem. Don't worry about it. It's all, you, in fact, you just go to lunch. We'll pay for it. You know, like, you're good. You know, we're angry with you. We're going to, yeah, we're going to protest with you. Because you go ahead and hate them, and we'll hate them too, you know. Because I just can't believe anybody would treat you that way. And No wonder you're mad. No, that explains a lot. Now I get it. You are justified in your anger. The Apostle Paul has the nerve to say, I want you to remove from yourself, get rid of all your anger. All of it. Here's something that's kind of interesting. In the Greek language, which of course I'm I'm a scholar of, when you... No, I'm not. When you want to emphasize, I like reading people who've done the work, and then I just get to kind of get the benefit of their scholarship. But in the Greek language, when you want to emphasize something, you put it at the beginning of the sentence. So the first word in this sentence, in the Greek, guess what the word is? It's the word all. All. All of your anger, get rid of it. All of your malice, get rid of it. All of this stuff in this list, get rid of it. Don't have anything to do with it. But you're like, okay, that's great for you and for Paul. But that's unrealistic. <clears throat> it's certainly insensitive. We all want to raise our hand and tell our story. And I would be like you, and I would kind of just pass this off as un- unrealistic, idealistic kind of thing. You know, it's kind of like, that's why I don't read the Bible kind of verse. That's the kind of reason right there. Like, that's the stuff that just like, I just want to set this aside. Because the Bible says some dumb things like this that no one can actually do. So let's move on to something else. And I can understand that except for two things. And here's why I take these verses seriously. This is why I want to talk about them for a few minutes. Number one, 
The Apostle Paul didn't write this from some beach resort in the Caribbean. He wrote this from prison. And when he wrote these words, he was under house arrest in Rome for something he wasn't guilty of. He was framed and then he'd been beaten. He was mistreated. Now he's under house arrest and he's, he's basically just ignored. And they just ignored his case. And he sat for month after month and they just ignored him. And he would send appeals and they just ignored him. And he would, he would basically ask, can we please go to trial? And they ignored him because they knew that if they went to trial, they'd have to admit they didn't have a case. So there he is under house arrest. Here's a guy who had had a vision. Jesus showed up and had a conversation with him, and it knocked him, first of all, off whatever animal he was riding, and he was blind for three days, and it was crystal clear what it was that his life was to be about. And now he's, just a few years later, sitting in a prison, waiting with no end date in sight. How am I supposed to do this thing that God's called me to do? Can you imagine? So here he is under house arrest, and the Jewish leaders had framed him, Half the Christians are scared of him because of his past reputation. This guy had a lot of forgiveness issues. There's a lot of anger potential, a lot of reasons to have malice, a lot of reasons to be ticked off at one person or another, or in God for that matter. He's the guy from prison who says, all of your anger, get rid of it. All of your malice, get rid of it. No exceptions. I don't even want to you know, hear your sad little story because that's anecdotal. Get rid of it. So the other reason I want to take this seriously is this. Is that as we look into the verses uh, further, we're, we find that here's a guy writing who actually believed that such a thing could happen. He actually believed it could be done. He believed he was asking us to do something that we could actually do. Now imagine, this stretches my imagination a little bit, but imagine there's something that you could embrace. Imagine there's an attitude that you could adopt that would allow you to actually do this verse. Imagine, if you can, being free from your anger. Imagine being able to face your worst enemy and look them in the eye and shake their hand and say genuinely, hey, how you doing? Imagine the person who feels guilty because of the way they treated you. But you can face them even though they have a hard time facing you. Imagine having no anger, having no malice. Imagine not even wanting to slander anyone. Imagine what it would be like to have peace with everybody. Is such a thing possible? The Apostle Paul alludes to the idea that it is. And if one person who's been through what he'd been through thinks that such a thing exists, then I think we ought to at least listen to what he has to say, because that's a place that I would want to be at in my life. I'd love to be there, and I know it's a place that you want to be at in your life. The truth is that if some of you were to tell your story, the tone of your voice would let us all know that you're really ticked off still. In fact, you're kind of mad at everybody now for not being mad at the same thing you're mad at. Maybe you kind of carry it better because you're really sophisticated, okay? But deep down is just eating you up and there is somebody that you would love to just see evaporate off the face of the earth. In your mind, listen, in your mind you have conversations with them. Mm. And they end up looking foolish because you have put them in their place. You know what I'm talking about. That's how mine go. I have these imaginary conversations. Man, 
That's how I know I'm angry. Because I find myself driving in my car, first of all, I'm driving too fast, <laughs> and having these conversations with myself, and I mean, and I am just humiliating people in public in my private conversations. I shoot off this one-liner that I've been saving up, you know, and they just set me up and hand it to me, and I'm like, there you go. And they end up looking like fools, and everybody applauds me. I'm like, yeah, way to go. You tell them off. That's the way. They deserve that. And we do that because we're carrying our anger. The Apostle Paul says this. He's talking to Christians now. He says, all this stuff, get rid of it. Remove it from you. Well, how's that done? Well, again... (laughs) He almost oversimplifies, almost. But this is what he says, verse 32. Some Bibles have an extra word in here. It says, instead. I like that. Instead of carrying on in your anger, instead of slandering, instead of all this anger, here's what I want you to do. Be kind and compassionate to one another. But wait, stop. Because <laughs> Paul, like, you haven't even heard my story. You don't even know what he did. You don't even know what she said. You don't know my deal. Like, how can you say this? This is so unrealistic. Oh, here's the bottom line. Forgiving each other. Let's just stop for a second, because, I mean, what? Oh, yeah, but it says forgive each other, so I'll forgive them when they forgive me. I'll forgive them when they ask for it. I'll forgive them when they apologize. Oh, in other words, here. The way to deal with your anger, the way to deal with your malice, the way to deal with the wedges that are between you and other people. Paul says it's really simple. Not easy, but simple. He says, you're probably not even going to believe it. You're going to think I'm oversimplifying it. But he says the issue is forgiveness. And in this particular verse, the word that he uses for forgiving is this. There are two little, again, Greek words that are translated forgive. When you read your English Bible, you just read forgive, and we don't dig any deeper than that, but there are two Greek words that get translated forgive, and I want to tell you about these two words because I love this kind of stuff and it's important. One word that he doesn't use here is a Greek word that kind of puts things in the context of a court, okay? Um, And so here's a judge who recognizes that you're guilty of a crime, and the judge slams his gavel down, he says, you're guilty, but you're pardoned. You did the deed, but I'm pardoning you. I'm removing from you the penalty associated with the crime. So that's one form of forgiveness. And the word that says that uh, all that is basically translated in the Bible, forgiveness. That when God forgave us of all of our sins and we were saved, God says, you know, you're guilty, you did the deed, but you're a sinner, but I'm forgiving you. But there's another word, and it's the word that's used here in Ephesians 4, and it's a more relational word. In fact, it really means graciously give the gift of forgiveness. The idea here is that Church, listen, Christians, when you think about your relationships with each other, he says, I want you to develop a mindset or an attitude where you're constantly giving the gift of forgiveness. Every time you're offended, I just want to give you the gift of forgiveness. No, you didn't ask for it. No, you don't deserve it. No, you're not apologizing, but I'm forgiving you anyway. Here's some forgiveness for you. No, I know you don't even know what you did, but I'm forgiving you anyway. He says, I want you to develop a mindset that everywhere you go, you're constantly dishing out forgiveness. So let's define forgiveness, okay, for our purposes this morning. In essence, what forgiveness is, it's basically deciding that I'm going to treat you as if this never happened, okay? Um, Hang with me because I've got a multi-part definition here. I can't forget what happened. I can't forgive and forget. 
You ever heard forgiveness tied in with forgetting? You ever heard that? Forgive and forget. That's what the Bible says. Just show me the chapter and verse because I'd love to see that. Because that's not, for, forgetting has nothing to do with forgiveness. But from now on, I'm going to treat you, here's the key words, as if. As if this never happened. I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. You don't owe me. You don't owe me what I used to think that you owed me. And I'm choosing to live with the consequences of your sin. I forgive you. He says, I want you to develop an, a mindset and an attitude of constantly forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and giving the gift of forgiveness and just deciding you don't owe me. Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you wouldn't talk to me. Yeah, you stole my idea. Yeah, hey, but you know, I can fake it with you in the grocery store, but I'm going to treat you as if this never happened. I'm going to go to a different place. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to write this off. You don't owe me anymore. <coughs> I feel kind of funny preaching on this. Um, I'll tell you why. Because I've sat through hours and hours of people telling me their stories. And some of them are horror stories. They're stories about abuse and neglect and divorce and death and loss and abandonment. Just everything you can imagine. And I find myself sometimes when I'm listening to those stories getting as mad as they are at the person that they're talking about. But, and I would never in a million years feel like I could come in here and say, you know, just forgive, you know, just, just forgive. That's all there is to it. Let's just forgive. Now let's close in prayer. It's just too unrealistic except for the fact of what the Apostle Paul says in the next part of the verse. And this is the key to forgiveness. Because if you're thinking, that list you just put up there, uh, impossible. You see, as long as I'm just dealing with you, as long as you hurt me and I've just got to deal with the hurt, and as long as I've just, it's just you and me, I'm not motivated for, to forgive, and I don't know how to forgive, and I don't even know if it's possible. And as you tell me your sad story, and I can't find it within myself to you know, forgive, it's just too much pain, it's just too complicated, I get it. But here's the Apostle Paul. Again, setting a high standard for those of us who are believers. Here's the rest of the verse. I'm going to take it from the top. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This changes everything. I'm not to forgive you based on what you've done to me. I'm not to forgive you based on whether you're worthy of it. My forgiveness is based not on how you've treated me, but on how I've been treated by God. I'm to reflect back on you the forgiveness I've received. So bottom line, I'm to forgive because I've been forgiven. I'm to forgive because I've been forgiven. Can you read that with me? I'm to forgive because I've been forgiven. That's the issue. The issue isn't the amount of pain. Because you could probably tell a story that registers a 5 on the pain scale, and somebody else could tell a story that registers a 7, and then somebody else can come up here and tell a story that just is you know, riveting and registers a 10+. Plus. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm sorry, but this forgiveness, it isn't about how you've been treated by other people. It has to reflect how you've been treated by God. You're to forgive because and as 
you've been forgiven. And it's interesting to me, too, that when he says we have to forgive, it's in the present tense. We're to be constantly forgiving. But when he talks about the forgiveness we've received from God, it's a different verb tense. And this is kind of cool stuff. He says it's a verb tense that we don't even have in English. It, it reflects sort of a snapshot. As if God took some, a snapshot of different times in your life and handed them to you and said, remember this? Oh, remember this? Remember this one? We're to live our lives forgiving other people, remembering the times in our lives, remembering the incidents in our lives when we so desperately needed God's forgiveness. Can you think of any of those times? Those times when you promised God like 10 times, you know, and then you did it anyway? And those times when you said, God, if you help me with this, I'll do this. All those times you've gone to God and you've done some, some, uh, some bartering, you know, and, you know, it's, God, I'm even embarrassed to come to you with this, but, you know. In fact, sometimes you, you blew it and then you went weeks without talking to God because you didn't feel like you could. Ever done that? You're just like so embarrassed. You feel so unworthy. You're like, I don't even, I don't even want to pray because I don't think I should. I, you just went off into kind of a season of sin and derailed for a little while because you just couldn't think about facing God. But then you finally came back. And as you deal with it and you process it and you read your Bible and you realize that he's just been waiting for you to come back. He forgave you before you asked for it. You live in a state of forgiveness. The Apostle Paul says, hey, as you think about the people who've hurt you, (coughs) and let's face it, some of the hurt is petty, right? It isn't major life-changing stuff. It's just silly stuff that we get bent out of shape about. Some of it's real deal, hardcore stuff. But he says, as you consider the hurt that you've experienced and the pain, the temptation to hold on to that, it becomes anger, you know? Because it's kind of fun, because you like telling your story, you like being able to tell your story. He says, I just want you to hold that up in the light of what God has had to do for you over and over and over and over. If you're a Christian, consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You have to forgive, because you're a forgiven person. You've got to let go of that pain, because you're a forgiven person. You've got to decide, you don't owe me anymore. Because you're a forgiven person. At the cross, we lost our right not to forgive. This is extraordinarily important for a church. We've talked about all these passages in this series as it relates to life in the church. I believe this one's unbelievably important because of, uh, for a couple reasons. First of all, I believe forgiveness is the only way that I can get back into your life once I've hurt you. Once I've offended you or done something to hurt you, the only way we can ever restore a relationship is for you to forgive me and for me to accept that and live in that. If there's no forgiveness, there's no relationship. And we as a church, we've been called to work together to accomplish something great for God. And if we're not a community that's characterized by forgiveness, then there's no hope. It's just a matter of time. I'm going to offend you. I'm going to hurt you. You're going to offend me. You're going to disappoint me. You're going to take somebody's seat. You're going to, you know, somebody's kid is not going to be treated right. And I'm going to miss an appointment with somebody. And it's just a matter of time. We're going to offend each other. If we're not a community of forgivers, it's just a matter of time until this whole thing falls apart. Because we won't let each other back in. There's a quote from Philip Yancey's book, who's written some of the 
most amazing stuff on, on forgiveness. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, this is what he says about forgiveness. He says, forgiveness offers a way out. It does not settle all questions of blame and fairness. Mm. Often it pointedly evades those questions. But it does allow a relationship to start over, to begin anew. Love that. So much freedom in that. Listen, if we aren't a community that forgives, it's just a matter of time until we're a community that disintegrates. Because we will hurt each other. We will let each other down. We will disappoint one another. We have to learn to apologize. We have to learn to ask for forgiveness. We have to learn to grant forgiveness. That's why the Apostle Paul says this brand new church in Ephesus, I mean, this is a brand new deal. This whole thing was so brand new. He says, forgive all the anger, all the wrath, all the slander, all the malice, all of it. Put it away from yourself. Get rid of it and forgive one another. And this isn't easy. We can spend the rest of our life going, yeah, but hey, so-and-so, let me tell you about him. We can even spend the rest of our lives saying, you know, we're not going to gossip, but we're just not going to like him. Or we can decide, I'm not going to hold that against you anymore. I could confront you. The way you treated me, I could confront you and blah, 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 and just let you have it. Well, maybe there's a time where that's appropriate. I don't know. That's another conversation. But the bottom line is, are we going to forgive? The Apostle Paul says, all. You know what the big, big reason is that we've got we to do this as a church? It isn't just because we've got to get along, we've got to like each other because we're doing this life together and we've chosen to be a church family together. It's really because forgiveness is our number one export. <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, what is the church about? I think it's about forgiveness. Oh, we can do what we can to connect with God, and you can come to this church, and you'll connect with God, hopefully, and he's going to forgive you all your sins, you know, but isn't it a little bit strange when a forgiven people whose message is forgiveness won't forgive each other? Isn't that a little weird? It just doesn't add up to me. Maybe you've been in churches like that, and the preacher's up there preaching the gospel, and God will forgive you, but as soon as the church is over, I mean, nobody gets along, nobody talks to each other. There's a click here, and there's a click over there, and there's a group over there, and the deacons are in a hurry because they've got to get to a meeting where they can slander some people, and they've got some stuff to deal with, and all these. There's something major wrong with a church whose message is forgiveness, who are forgiven people who won't forgive each other. We've got to guard against that. So the Apostle Paul says specifically to Christians, to a lot of you in this room, look, I know you've been hurt. I'll share horror stories with you anytime. I'll show you the literal scars on my back. But I'm telling you, I've forgiven them. Because there's something bigger at stake. And Paul says, as I stand and think about that God has forgiven me and what he's forgiven me of, and as I think about the fact that he's promised me relationship and he's promised me heaven, and no matter what I do, no matter how many times I do it, who am I to withhold forgiveness from somebody in my life? Who am I? He says, all, 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 all. You've got to get rid of all of that stuff because it's like a disease. And what starts in you spreads to your family. And it's, when it spreads to your family and to your kids, and then it makes its way into the church. And when it makes its way into the church, it makes its way, its way into the greater Christian community. And in that, when that happens, it affects the eternal destiny of the people that you work with and the people you socialize with and the people you care about, the people your kids go to school with and the people that, that you love and, and hold up in high regard. You, you gotta, so you've got to get rid of all this. If you've got a report tomorrow that you had cancer and some of you have had to deal with this, 
after your, first, your initial reaction of fear, what's the next first reaction when the, you find out you have cancer? Isn't it, can we get rid of it? Okay, so what do we do now? How do we get rid of it? Is there a cure? Is there a treatment? What do we have to do? Just get rid of it. Whatever you've got to do, if you can do it today, that'd be great. Can we get rid of this? When you first find out a diagnosis like that, you're, like, you're probably not like, that's very interesting, Doc. Yeah, I wonder how I got that. I wonder, what's the deal with cancer anyway? I wonder, I should probably read some books on that. I wonder where that came from. I think I'm going to go listen to some music now. No, it's like, first reaction is, can we get rid of this, please? Can we get rid of it before I go home today? That's what it has to be with the anger and forgiveness issues in your life. But you know what we do? We reverse them. We want to track down the source of our anger. Why do I still have issues with this person or that person? And and I'm not saying you shouldn't have some time with a counselor because most of us would benefit from that. But really on this level, Paul's like, I don't really care where it comes from. Get rid of it. If finding out, you know, where it came from is part of the process, fine. But don't be content with just finding the source of your anger and your hurt so you have somebody to direct that towards. Just get rid of it. You might need some help getting some clarity from somebody. I get that. But you know the kind of covert thing about anger and stuff is? That's all the stuff in that list that he gave us in verse 31. The thing that, sort of the trick that we never come to grips with. <coughs> Maybe one of the reasons that we're holding on to anger and bitterness and resentment and offense. You know why it's such a waste of time? Do you realize that even if the person who offended you and hurt you, think about your worst relational hurt. Let's just pick that scab for a minute. Think about your worst relational hurt. Even if the person who hurt you came in today and fell down on their knees and said, I was wrong, I was wrong, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Isn't it true that they still couldn't return to you what they've taken from you? Your father, who you have issues with, can't give you a childhood again. The person who robbed you of your reputation, they can't give you your reputation back. The boss that mistreated you for so long, he can't come back and give you those years back. That ex-spouse who's mistreated you and walked out on you, you you don't get that time back, and you don't get to start over fresh without some of that baggage. You know what the tragedy is? We hold people hostage to things that they can't give us anyway. Stop there and let you write that one down. even if they came back and came clean. They can't return to us what we think they owe us. And if they can't pay us back anyway, why in the world do we cling so tightly? Why not just forgive? They can't pay you back anyway, why not just cancel the debt? (coughs) So Paul says you can read and psychoanalyze whatever, but when all is said and done, you've got to get rid of it. Now, if you're a Christian, you need to charge out of here and get serious about this and get busy. And let me just tell you, you know this, focusing on the source of your hurt and focusing on the source of your pain and your anger will not result in forgiveness. You know that. 
but focusing on the source of your forgiveness will empower you to forgive. Focusing on the source of your hurt only focuses you on the source of your hurt. Kind of underscores and emphasizes your reason to be angry. Kind of builds your case. But when you and I will sit back and take all the pain and hold it up in light of what God has done for us in Christ, that's when we get motivated. That's when there's incentive. That's when you can say, God, in light of all that you've done for me, I'm going to let this go. I'm not going to hold this over his head any longer. I'm not going to hold this sin over her head any longer. So my counsel to you as believers as we, is that we've got, we got to leave here today realizing that this is possible. I don't think Paul gives us scenarios that are pie-in-the-sky fantasy world. This isn't some pipe dream of some guy who lived on a grassy hill somewhere. This can happen. And you as a believer are responsible. You've got to forgive because you're forgiven. Now, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you're not a religious person, you're maybe trying to reconnect with God, whatever the reason is that you're here, you're here because somebody has invited you a thousand times and you finally, they wore you down and you're here. Let me tell you this. The first step for you is not to try to deal with the people who've hurt you. The first step for you is to receive God's forgiveness. You're like, well, Todd, I've done that a thousand times. I'm talking about a little bit different thing. I'm talking about a point in time kind of a moment in time when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Savior, as your forgiver. That you say, God, I've got all this pain, I've got all this junk, and I've got some stuff I've got to get rid of, and I want to deal with that before I deal with any of that. I want to know that I'm solidly connected with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And because of that connection, that relationship, that's where you're going to find the power to forgive the people who've hurt you. It's your relationship with God through Jesus that provides the context for forgiveness. It's impossible to give the gift of forgiveness if you've never received the gift of forgiveness from your Heavenly Father. So my encouragement to you today is, is this. Hey, this is pretty practical stuff, I think. And yeah, it makes sense relationally, you know? And you know all the pain and you know all the ramifications of anger and you've seen all that. Don't, don't try to tackle all those issues, you know? I just want to plead with you first to get things right with your Heavenly Father. So let me, let me tell you how to do that. A couple things. First, you may have a lot of questions. You've got to get connected to some Christians who are further down in their spiritual journey than you are. Get together over coffee, get plugged into a small group, ask some questions. Um, you'll probably find some answers. The people in your life would love to help you get from where you are to the point where you can, you know, with your mind and your heart and your soul, say, God, I believe you're there. I believe Jesus is your son. I want to receive the gift of forgiveness. If you want to talk about that more, Come talk to me after the service. If you're here today and you're saying, well, I'm ready right now, then here's what you need to do today. The person who brought you today, first of all, can probably explain this better to you. And if you came on your own, come talk to me after the service. I usually stay right up here in the front afterwards. You can sit right here and have a conversation. So here's my challenge for all of us. Don't let your anger eat you up. Don't let it eat up your relationship with your family and with your friends and the people that you work with and care about. Let's deal with it as Paul instructed us. Let's get rid of it. And if you're not a Christian, the first step is to receive forgiveness so that then you can give forgiveness. If you're a believer, let's just do what it takes. Let's, let's give the forgiveness that we've received. Because your witness and our church and the success of our mission 
hinges on our ability to work together. So to work together, we have to be a community that forgives. We forgive because we're forgiven. You forgive because you're forgiven. And you extend to the people around you the gift of forgiveness because you as a believer have received the gift of forgiveness. So far, each part of the series, we've played the song at the end of the message, and I think I'd like to play it again. We're going to play it loud enough that you can sing along. The lyrics are on the screen. Let's sing this. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our unity may one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love.
forgiven because you were forsaken.